ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek, 5 foot 11, 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous, 5 foot 11, 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. And we're back with exciting news. Yes, we are now professional. We have a sponsor for the show, which is awesome for us, but even more awesome for you. Indeed, because who doesn't love a sweet, sweet online shopping discount code? And in this case, it's an online shopping discount code that gets you delicious coffee delivered to your doorstep. From our good friends, Prism Coffee, who are four Canberra lads who I've known for a while. Uh, who've all worked in and around the specialty coffee industry for some time now and now uh, out on their own they've got a roaster they're roasting beans uh, and just generally kicking ass with delicious coffee so john how do the people get this amazing discount you speak of go to their website which is prismcoffee.com.au pick from the couple of different blends and some single origins that they've got. You can get it ground, you can get it in whole beans if you prefer to grind your own. They've got all of the options. Uh, and then you use the code PEAKSPEAK in the discount bit of the shopping cart and uh, you'll get a sneaky 10% off and it'll rock up on your doorstep in some amount of time. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I think they express post everything, so hopefully quickly. Perfect. Amazing. And well, that's it. Without further ado, here's, here's the episode. Yeah. Enjoy. Presented by Thomas Lilly and John Sheridan, Baby Cry in the Background, not included. Ballerina. You must have seen her. It's Elton John. I didn't say it wasn't. I just laughed at the concept of you introducing all of our podcasts into the future by singing a cappella. Now, on behalf of John. Sheridan and Thomas Lilly, we extend our sincerest apologies for wasting <laughs> minutes and minutes of your time by segueing coffee things, not realizing that Sam had put a sultry, sexual uh, intro to the podcast that we hadn't listened to. So That was a complete revelation to me. I had no idea Sam had done that. I just clearly hadn't listened to our own podcast in several months. And uh, <laughs> And yeah, turns out Sam's way more organized than we thought he was. And yeah. uh, there's a reason he's the guy behind the <laughs> two ugly faces on the radio. Thank you, Sam. And sorry, Thank you, people. Sam. <laughs> well, I'm not sorry. <laughs> We're promoting a very high quality coffee brand and I'm okay with over promoting it. We are. Yes, indeed. How are you, my friend? I am in desperate need of more sleep. Uh, but otherwise, life is pretty good. I um, attended, virtually attended... Uh, Pat Davidson's Rethinking the Big Patterns 2 seminar over the weekend. Uh, so he ran that like on a Saturday, Sunday in New York, which equates to like Sunday, early Sunday morning and early Monday morning Australian time. Uh, so, but a couple of long nights, I sort of got to the gym at 1 a.m. Sunday morning and was here till sort of 10, 10.30 and then did it again last night or, or early this morning. Um, I sort of 
decided pretty early in the piece that having paid a few hundred dollars to do this, it was probably worthwhile attending it live and being able to ask questions and, and sort of be there properly rather than just watch the recordings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to do that, I, I like left home and came to the gym so I could turn all the lights on and, you know, actually be in a work environment rather than just doing it on my lounge room couch. Cause I'm certain I would have just fucking fallen asleep after 10 minutes. Uh, but yeah, so that was really good, man. I, um, I really very much enjoyed that. I've been wanting to sort of hear more from Pat for a while in that environment. Um, but obviously traveling to the States isn't really an option, uh, at the moment or nor in the foreseeable future, at least. <laughs> so I'm really stoked that we, I got an opportunity to do that. It was, um, yeah, really eye opening. He's a very incredibly intelligent person who I think, has a very robust thought pattern and has done a really good job of clearly just like pulling apart his own thoughts and his own training model in a way that just makes it super, I wouldn't say easy to follow, but it's like simple to the point that it needs to be and no simpler, which I think, you know, mm. is, is the sign of a good model when it comes to anything like this is it, it seems kind of simple from the the outset, but when you sort of get into the nitty gritty of it, it's it is quite complex and and deep and well thought out and and that sort of thing. But um, but yeah, really interesting, man. It's it was sort of his model for thinking about human movement and improving movement and therefore you know exercise validity and stuff like that. Uh, and yeah, he's a he just seems like a dude I'd like to spend some time with and hang out with, but um. Be, I think someone who is doing a really good job of of providing something that doesn't really exist you know like he he talked about it at the start as being you know like programming and nutrition all sort of have these you know like big guiding principles and things like that 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 people kind of know right it doesn't matter which camp you're in they they all sort of come from the same first principles and he was saying that no one's really done that for movement uh and i think he did it i think he did a really good job of of breaking it all down into understanding like not just what you're looking for in terms of movement but like how to coach it both from a like what can you see versus what can the person feel so he talks about like uh sensory motor competencies so the idea that in order to uh be in a position where you're actually mastering a a position or a movement there's like a a motor component to it you know for example like in the the stuff where he talks about sagittal plane competencies he's talking about being able to stack the you know the middle of your skull over your pelvic uh, diaphragm uh, and maintain that relationship and then it's about can you feel certain muscle groups uh, in doing these exercises so it gives you a really good framework for picking apart movement you know, and it's mm-hmm. it's stuff that a lot of it I I knew anyway because I had followed Pat's stuff for a while, um, but hearing him just really go into depth on it was was really cool. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm really glad I did it. I'm definitely paying for it today. Uh, <laughs> I think a hefty amount of caffeine is going to get me through the rest of the afternoon and banging away on some programs and stuff like that today, and then I'm going to do my best to reset my circadian rhythm slightly by going to bed very early tonight because i am a bit whacked out having had sort of two night shifts basically uh so if you were to put on your uh your powerlifting coach uh cap and um have have uh watched this thing through fresh eyes 
what would be the biggest takeaway? Because assuming, you know, knowing, knowing what I know of those systems and everything, um, a lot of it is very applicable, uh, more so to just like movement assessment, general movement, sports performance, and, and, and heading in that direction versus, you know, the very controlled and balanced environment yeah. of the squat bench or deadlift. Yeah, so I, I think there's definitely uh, a lot in in that, not from, I would say not that it like has directly improved my understanding of improving squats, bench and deadlifts, like one for one. Like there, there wasn't necessarily a whole bunch of stuff about like this is the best way to squat. But mm. what it gave me was a better understanding of uh, the sort of common compensations that come out of driving performance in one particular direction and mm. i think that's where it can be really useful because it can sort of highlight so he, he talks about the the model of movement strategies being you have uh like expansion and compression is basically these sort of two uh ends of a spectrum when it comes to movement and that uh you will through a, a variety of reasons be it training history uh things like that, you'll sort of have a, a preferred strategy. So generally powerlifters are going to be based in compression because powerlifting, lifting heavy is a compressive activity, which is what we've talked about with like the bracing, like that Valsalva maneuver is a compression uh, strategy. It's, it's an exhalation strategy that spend a ton of time in that, then that's going to have all these potential carry on effects to your ability to access movement outside of that. So for me, it's more about, uh, being able to better balance the variability discussion of like, hey, I want you to be able to access these ranges of motion at certain times of the year and understanding where that line is in terms of pushing performance versus sort of you know, like function or health would be sort of the, the broad way to talk about it. So, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it necessarily improved my understanding of squatting benching and deadlifting as it relates to powerlifting but instead mm. helped solidify some of the ideas in my head about <clears throat> how we can avoid some of the common pitfalls that come with poorly implemented powerlifting training done for a long time mm -hmm. and also help sort of open my eyes to things that i know i struggle with uh because i've spent years being a powerlifter and just doing things that i thought were right but probably aren't Hmm. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. I think one thing that comes, especially with people who have that particular teaching style, you know, that's that's going back to, the, like you said, those first principles um, and then sort of explaining their interpretation of those first principles and the application of those first principles. Not only do you get, I guess, the, the mind's eye into how this person is interpreting, you know, what is fact, but you also get their way of thinking. Yeah, uh, and I th I think that is probably one of the most valuable things. Even if you don't take it, it, it the system exactly as it is, if that can impart a way of uh, viewing thing, a new set of lenses that you can access from time to time, um, it often improves your practice so much. And this is one thing thing I say in my coach development system quite a lot is that the exposure to other I ideologies is always really helpful, especially when you're in, in our position where you're working with people directly. It gives you an an in, a new lens into what they're thinking, what they're potentially being taught. And then when it comes to solving those problems to implement your system upon them, uh, you become much quicker at speaking their language and being able to sell your system because you yeah. understand exactly where their current movement or their current design is coming from.
Yeah, exactly. Uh, and really that cool. that's the thing that I think I probably took uh, as the overarching piece that I took out of it was just an insight into the very rigorous and logical approach that he's taken to identifying these first principles. Like he has mm. seven pillars that are then broken up into a bunch of different things. Like he has 13 motor patterns and then has like a, a list of competencies for each of those patterns in different planes of motion and things like that, that help you really just, yeah, I, I think he did a very good job of breaking it all into very, not, not necessarily simple, but very well thought out, you know, uh, like branches of a tree, right? It's that, that sort of flow chart approach to, uh, to uh, like dissecting or, or looking into or trying to improve movement where it becomes like, if you've got these principles to work from, then you can kind of uh, troubleshoot things based on that. And I think that he did really well. Mm. Uh, and yeah, it's certainly not, I'm, if I'd taken this like six or seven years ago, I would have just fucking spent my life spouting Pat Davidson's training model and nothing else. But now I'm mature enough in my own beliefs and my own system that I can do exactly what you said, right? Is take the pieces that help uh, solidify my own understanding and improve my model and then incorporate them into my model rather than doing the thing that I think a lot of people do when it comes to these sort of things, and we've talked about variations on this theme a little bit in the past, but that idea that people go in and, you know, they do something like this or they they do like a PRI course or something like that. And then suddenly like that's their lane. They're like, mm. this, is, this is the answer. And I think that's really can be very dangerous and, and detrimental to putting you in a position as a coach where you just have an incredibly closed-minded and, and narrow field of view and you're unwilling to entertain the idea that anyone else might have a valid model. Mm. Uh, you know, he talks about uh, this. So I've, I've watched this uh, this weekend and I've also watched the um, recordings of his original uh, version of this seminar that's a little bit different. And one of the things he talks about in both is the... Uh, what's, it, what's his name? George Box, the I think he's an economist who says that um, like all models are wrong, but some are useful. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the really interesting thought process is this idea that like this is the best interpretation that this person has at the time. And I think Pat did a very, very good job of articulating his model in a, yeah, in a very well thought out way. And um, that in itself just helps me uh, or has already helped me um, – solidify some of my own thinking about my model and, and how I think about things. And, you know, some of it's like uh, things that I was kind of doing without knowing I was doing them or, or necessarily having a framework for how I thought about doing them. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, putting a, a more logical thought process into that is, has been really useful. And it all obviously like, you know, it only finished like six hours ago or something like that. And I've, <laughs> I've had something like seven hours of sleep over two days. So uh, it'll probably take me a few days, maybe yeah. a week or two to, to properly synthesize it. And having the access to the recordings, I'll probably sit down later this week, maybe early next week and watch the whole thing again. Because mm. uh, I think it was it was really valuable. I'm really glad I spent the money on it. And um, yeah, I'm really <laughs> interested to read his book. So uh, he's got a, a book of the same name um, that is coming out soon i believe that'll i think then take it 
deeper again. So he mm. sort of explained the the seminar as being like a, a first page, first principles kind of thing, and then the book's going to delve into a lot of that on a on a deeper level. So I'm really excited to read that. I think that'll be really cool. Yeah, uh, that, and yeah, that initial point of, uh, that you made around like if you know five years ago John had had heard this, he would <laughs> yeah, start, know. you know. Yeah. Pe- peddling peddling all these ideas you know have all those have all those palestine clients with a foot against the wall and <laughs> yeah. cross pat and trying to get the nose over the knee and all this sort of stuff it's really it's funny which i did those single leg deadlifts <laughs> properly and it's fucking miserable <laughs> yeah they're, they're horrendous um i i had a good conversation with will about this the other day so you know obviously myself and will have very different approaches to achieving the same end goal our yep. end goal for our clients when we're talking about powerlifting is Let's get this person as strong as possible, ensuring that they're doing the best technique possible, ensuring longevity uh, and satisfying the the core principles of progressive overload. Right. Yeah. And uh, Will is the first to admit he loves all the the little fantastical exercises. Right. And all the little drills. He loves all that stuff. Um, And there's no problem with that at all. We we were kind of talking about like the uh, the implementation of that kind of stuff and where its strengths are. uh, And also the fact that a lot of that little stuff is so um, limited in the amount of fatigue that it's going to generate. So even if you're doing that stuff and you don't believe it has value as a coach to that lifter, who cares? If they believe yeah. it has value, it's not taking away from the overall. Yeah. Uh, but, but it was really interesting to have that conversation because I think uh, you know, being exposed to more of, uh, more of that style of coach, not Will as in like the people that are John five years ago who have you know, drank that Kool-Aid and just ran with it hardcore. Yeah. I'd be really interested to be like, hey, you know what? Here's, An- here's Andrew Cooper. Here's Dylan Hellregal. Here's Will Crozier. Here are all these massive powerlifters. You take them, apply that training method, get them to access all these ranges that you're obsessed with. And now let's see in a year if they're stronger than they were yeah. before. Um, because it's really interesting. You know, you, you take those principles, you understand them, you find them a way to apply them to a system to, to get them stronger. And so um, oftentimes what I'm seeing is people drinking this kool-aid over applying it and kind of missing their roots or their 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 you know core purpose of getting someone stronger if we're talking specifically in the strength training powerlifting world yeah um, and it's always it's always tricky to kind of to kind of find that blend and i guess that that sort of starts the conversation around what we wanted to talk today with this concept of, of staying in your lane yes the reason this has been on my mind is because uh i'm i'm seeing an ever-increasing amount of uh amount of a people saying saying this mantra of stay in your lane you know don't practice outside of your scope and so often the direction that it's pointed in is like someone with a higher degree being like hey little coach stay in your fucking lane stop trying to solve your problems bulging discs your clients bulging discs stop trying to solve your clients torn meniscus send them to someone who knows what they're doing and you shut the fuck up and make sure they don't fall over when they're lifting weights yeah um and uh like it's it's starting to bother me when i'm seeing a lot of lifters uh that are you know um i guess being co-coached or uh you know uh, co-handled by a bunch of different therapists and a coach with completely separate ideologies and approaches to the way that movement works in the gym uh and then you know really at the end of the day it's all about the client they're really fucking up the client with all this like conflicting information and it's just so interesting when you see uh you know uh, someone with a higher degree practicing a technique or practicing an approach to uh, programming or something that just doesn't seem that right. And it's, it kind of, it, it almost sounds blasphemous. Even just saying it out loud kind of sounds blasphemous because it's like, they've got a degree that covers 
kinesthesiology and, and covers human movement yeah. and covers you know applied physiology and applied yeah. mechanics and all this sort of stuff we don't have that no the difference is or, or the, the the link between the two is neither of us have been taught the correct in inverted commas way to squat or bench or deadlift because there is no fucking textbook on that yes and so now we're, we're we're in this funny space where it's like yes yeah, stay in your lane but what is our lane yeah. like we have to make our own lane and what you said before we started recording is like you know that lane is going to change over time yeah, so it's I, man 100 percent. like my i said to you my lane has widened drastically in the last six or seven years as my knowledge of human movement of understanding training principles of all of those things has improved and solidified but also like i've just experimented a lot you know and like that's that's fucking huge I mean, yeah, there's that. That's uh, that's AP compression. If I ever did see it, uh, get, <laughs> get, yeah, get right up on that uh, that compression bandwagon. Um, Continue. Yeah, so it's it's one of those things that I think it does get really blurry, but it's very easy from a coaching standpoint, like from guys like you and I, to feel a little bit. Uh, you know, second tier to some of those people because they have degrees, because they have these professional qualifications that you or I don't have. We're just mm. a bunch of fucking meatheads in a gym um, yelling on a podcast. And I think that that's why, have as a coach, having a relationship with or relationships with therapists of all types is, is really useful because mm. you can be in a position where you can have the conversations about okay well like why do you recommend this why like why is that the answer to the problem that we have and how does that incorporate into like maybe how do we incorporate that into the coaching model that we're using to to work with that client and, and where's the the sort of crossover i guess because so often it's this uh idea that you know the, the physio is separate from the coaching from the that training and that there has to be some sort of separation that can't really just be the same thing all working together to move the client forward because ultimately that's what fucking matters right it's mm. not some big pissing contest between a physio and a coach and and i know like i've been in that situation before where i've had physios you know or people report back to me from physios about how they've like completely rejected the concepts that i've been talking about uh, with the client and and like to have it from the client who's paying me for my coaching skills to then have them go to a therapist like a physio or, or whatever it is and have that therapist basically say well no that guy's an idiot mm. well then that puts them in this awkward position where like who do they follow who do they who do they agree with those sort of things I've found the the most frustrating thing recently I've, I've got a couple of people who are uh, in the military and mm. they have no say in who they see when it comes to physios and stuff because their first port of call is they have to see a military physio um and some of them are just fucking garbage Mm. (laughs) like absolute complete garbage Mm. uh and so you're in this position where like i can't in good conscience professionally or ethically tell this client of mine to completely ignore what that physio is saying because they're a fucking idiot um because I am then in a position where like that's well outside my scope. Like I'm, I'm not a physio. I, I send people to physios because I'm not a physio. Mm. Uh, but it puts this, 
these people in a, a really awkward position where like part of their job is following the orders that they're given on those sort of things sure. and some of it is stuff that you can't control especially in the military it's like hey like today we're gonna put on a full pack and go run up a fucking mountain mm. you know you, that's that's stress that you can't necessarily control for and so it makes the job much more complex and is just really detrimental to the client themselves because mm. they're put in this position of not knowing who to listen to or not being able to have a coherent dialogue between people that puts them in the right position. Yeah. And I think that's really detrimental in the long term. I think it's, I think it's important to, to highlight when John says the physio is garbage. I think uh, what he means to say is, uh, you know, that physio is really good at what they do. As in what their, what their purpose uh, I, I would is. like to clarify that in this instance, I'm not certain that's what I mean. <laughs> in this instance, I'm pretty certain it's that this particular physio was garbage. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but like, just, just like coaches, physios, exercise physiologists, any therapist, any dietitian, whatever, they're doing the absolute best they can yeah, with exactly. the knowledge and the skills that they have. And uh, I think our automatic assumption is that, you know, a therapist, someone who's got a higher degree that's, that's around physiology or human movement, um, automatically understands every type of movement um, and yep. automatically has, you know, the gold standard in the head of what that movement is, how to teach it, how to cure it, how to yep. rationalize it. And that's just simply not the case. And that's where it gets tricky. Like, I feel like I'm incredibly spoiled, spoiled to the point of, um, you know, being cynical uh, when it comes to advice from physiotherapists because I've got Jordan Anderson and, and Michael Huber here on the Gold Coast who yeah. understand powerlifting very well, understand the technique that I teach and understand powerlifting technique in general very well and have years of experiencing rehabbing experienced powerlifters uh, with a great deal of success. And so now when I send a, a remote client to a physio, I try and find them someone who's who's comparable, but it's, it's so hard. and like, Yeah. I constantly get with online clients, you know, this conflicting advice around you need to do this and you need to change that. And I'm just like, oh, unless it's coming from from my guys, I find it really hard to believe. Like the, the thing I love about Michael and Jordan at the same time as, you know, providing me with so much education and help, I'm always bothering them with my questions. They're not afraid to call me out on any bullshit. Yeah. Not afraid. Like Jordan called us out on the... Um, uh, on the warm-ups episode saying, actually, a lot of what you said is uh, outdated or just wrong. You're just wrong. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, fuck yep. yeah. That's that's yeah, what yeah. we want to hear because we want to get better. We are just big, dumb meathead powerlifters <laughs> like, yep. doing the best we can. Yep. Speaking of which, Jordan, if you're listening, we still need to get you on so we can talk about that stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, Happily be schooled on all of that stuff. And I like, I think that's the the hard part as a coach is fine, especially as a coach in a world where coaching doesn't just happen in your immediate vicinity anymore uh having a, a network of people that you can rely on to give even like close to the same information or to just not be in a position where you actually just end up putting a bunch of roadblocks in the way like there's no cohesiveness in the message that you're getting even if you know the model that the physio that you're sending this person to is it, the model that they have for movement and improving movement is different to the model that perhaps i'm using or you're using or whatever uh having some common ground like all the good therapists that i've worked with uh i've been able to talk to them about like this is why i think about it like this this is the the sort of rationale behind that uh like where do you d differ with that like where can we find this common ground 
honestly, I think as a coach, that's actually really hard to do because it relies on you having a very well thought out logical process to why you're doing what you're doing. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people, especially like, like I said, that would have been me five years ago. If I'd, if I'd done Pat's rethinking the big patterns, then I would have just fucking spouted a bunch of this information off and not necessarily understood why it worked. Like, and, and the thing is, it would have worked because Pat's a really intelligent dude. He's got a very well thought out system and I think it works nine times out of 10, right? Uh, if not more than that. But I think having a robust understanding of the first principles of what it is that you're doing and the model that you're using for coaching movement, specifically in powerlifting or otherwise, is the first step to being able to have a good discussion with people like this and be in a position where you can have an ongoing and productive relationship with someone rather than just this big dick swinging competition about who's right and who's wrong uh because sure. that's just fucking terrible from a professional standpoint for both of us you know but that statement pisses me off and it pisses me off because i 100 percent agree the fact that we need to have this you know series of first principles to bounce back to where the fuck is that how the fuck mm. do you learn it what the fuck is it you know it's the, the, i mean and i hate to continue to pedal my coach development system. That's a <laughs> i lie. knew that was coming i, I, don't I fucking knew to. that was coming i don't but that, that's exactly what it is it's a, like it's like the development of principles around squat bench deadlift and then my interpretation of those principles and how to teach and blah 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 uh, because that's what's fucking missing it's like how how can we have the same conversation uh, with someone else if we don't have this this basis it's like we're following a religion with no god and no bible like we're all yep. following the same fucking religion but there's no guiding light for it like what the fuck are we doing yeah exactly and that's i think um it's also the same like it's it's not even like we could all go and get exercise physiology degrees and still have the same discussion because none of it's taught in those sort of degrees you know like they talk about biomechanics and stuff like that but the the market that you and i work in is fairly fucking niche and mm. your average university level biomechanics course doesn't understand performance in the squat bench and deadlift on the scale that we're working on uh you know, like having been to university level biomechanics courses and like had discussions with biomechanics lectures about like hey like why are you talking about it like that like explain to me the rationale there here's what i think here's where I think there's perhaps some crossover there. And that conversation is is hard to have, especially in, in that environment where like, I'm just a fucking measly student who in that instance, you know, I'd still been coaching for like five or six years full time at that point. So might not have had the, the university level qualifications that this person has, but I have the experience. And a lot of, I think a lot of it comes from a lack of crossover between academics and real life experience. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's, there's no pathway that involves both. Uh, like I, I've had a guy here uh, doing some uni placement hours recently and like, you know, on paper, this kid's got more of an exercise science degree than I do, but he barely knows fucking anything about training because mm -hmm. he hasn't been in the trenches doing it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what you and I do is, is pattern recognition, right? Is, is understanding the shapes and stuff that you see and those sort of common uh, breakdowns in those shapes. Cause we've, we've had people of all different backgrounds of all different training histories and all that kind of thing uh, that have given us their faith and their trust and allowed us to, uh, to explore and to improve the craft, right? Like I've learned way more about coaching and about movement as a coach than I ever did through any, 
you know, educational course or anything like that, because until you're in the trenches doing it, so much of this is just a theoretical discussion. Mm-hmm. I think potentially that's where the the board the the sort of breakdown in the process is the the lack of uh, crossover between high level academics and high level performance coaching. One hundred percent, and it's it's yeah, it's book smarts versus street smarts. The problem is, is that street, street smart as fuck, motherfuckers. The, the street smarts we have to offer is just useless to everyone. Like, what? Why would there need to be a practical component of strength training and powerlifting when you know point zero 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 one of the yeah, percent yeah, of yeah, the population exactly. is interested in this thing? You know, um, so like I, I get it. I get why there there isn't a gold standard and a, a textbook for this stuff. Um, it just kind of makes it frustrating. And I, I guess back, going back to the, um, the heart of the conversation, this idea of staying in your lane. Um, I, I, used to, I used to be the guy that said stay in your lane, you know, and, and increasingly uh, more, I, I sort of think, no, don't stay in your fucking lane. Uh, experiment within a, you know, within the realms of, of safe and, and smart practice. Um, experiment and, and continue to sharpen your sword. It's like, you know, you get a lifter injured. You get a lifter with two bulging discs that goes and sees a physio and gets a rehab process, right? Um, the, the rehab process is designed to, I guess, you know, retrain the movement, re- revert that person back to square one so they can pick up their training again. Your job is to be like, okay, something in their training went wrong to lead mm-hmm. to them experiencing this thing. And there's something that I need to change to get better. So pay attention to, you know, what you're getting from the experts in their field, giving them the rehab. Pay attention to what's going on. Pay attention to the, uh, the framework of thinking around that. Um, take a logical approach to how you're going to deal with things after that. Work closely with that, uh, with that therapist or practitioner. Uh, and the more and more you get exposed to that kind of conversation, that way of thinking, uh, the more confidence you can you can have when you approach these things. Like it's it's always really good when I'm like, hey, Michael, or hey, Jordan, I've got this lifter with this problem. Do you think this is an appropriate strategy? And they're like, yeah, that's exactly what I would do. It's not me being like, oh, I'm as smart as physio. It's me being <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I've learned enough from these guys to you know pick up on systems that I can you know remove some work from them uh, because they're all, all both very fucking busy. Where I can you know be like, I don't need to take too much of your time, but is this okay? And they're like, yeah, it is. You know, that, yeah. that's that's really helpful. It's helpful for me it's helpful for the clients helpful for everyone right yeah um, exactly and, and sometimes yeah, oh, sorry, sorry i was just gonna say sometimes on that line like it's it's little things like hey like um my knees hurt squatting it's like well if you, you can ask enough questions like i had this recently someone who'd had some uh lower limb stuff going on and hadn't done any like proper squatting or deadlifting in a while got back into squatting this person happens to also be in the military uh complained of like bilateral knee pain when saw a physio and they were like oh you know it's a military physio just don't squat I was like mm-hmm. okay well maybe that's not the most effective answer from my point of view like i think that addresses the symptom and not necessarily the cause right the in my head as soon as you start saying hey both my knees hurt when i squat it's not related to weight like it doesn't get any better or worse with weight uh my immediate thought is like, okay, well, we've fucked up the load management. We've like put you in a position where you're doing too much work for what your knees can handle and they both hurt. So let's just like make some logical decisions about how we manage the load. We choose better exercises. We reduce some of the training stress overall to account for the the things that we can't control, which are, you know, you're being told to run up a fucking mountain carrying a pack and shit like that. Mm. Uh, and then 
make some like you know reasonably educated guesses around the best approach to that and a week later that person's in a position where their knees don't hurt anymore mm. part of that's my own experience like i've had bilateral knee pain that came from not doing many squats to doing too many squats very quickly and i've like i've been through that process myself and i know what worked for me having spoken to a physio about it at the time and, you know what i said was like hey like this is what your physio said here's some things that you can try to go along with that you know uh mm-hmm. in this instance we did some like wall sit isometric sort of tendony focus stuff uh as part of a warm-up and a week later the knees felt great uh mm-hmm. and i think having a both an experience of that myself was really helpful but also having a a probably a more comprehensive understanding of what that person was doing across the board, you know, like, because I, I understand what that person's doing in the gym and the program that I have given them. And then I have a reasonable understanding of the other demands outside of that. Whereas mm. that physio doesn't necessarily have a, an understanding of what the training looks like here mm-hmm. or has uh, some series of assumptions about what the training looks like here mm-hmm. that maybe are right, maybe are, are not. Uh, but, that's where having a good relationship with the therapist allows you to have a, a just a much more comprehensive understanding of the demands on that person at any one time and therefore be able to make a, a more educated guess about what's going to help and what isn't. For sure, for sure. And I mean, like, all the coaches in the world are, uh, you know, turning up their nose and being like, these fucking physios, they don't fucking squat, fucking, you know, you know nothing. Uh, it's like, well, geez. I spent if, four years fucking studying physio and that yeah. shit is hard. If I was a GP and you came to me and you're like, hey, my face really hurts. I'm like, okay, well, tell me about your life. Tell me tell me where you think the face hurting might be coming from. You're like, I really don't know. It's like, well, what, what's your, what are your hobbies? What do you do? I wanna, every night after I get home, I grab a hammer and I smash myself in the face for an hour. <laughs> as, as the GP, I'm going to say, well, I mean, like, I can prescribe you this, but my recommendation would be don't smash your face and yourself in the face <laughs> yeah. with, with a hammer, right? Yeah. And then that client's going to be like, yeah, but it's my therapy, man. Like, yeah. that's how I get ready to fucking go to war. It's my you know? identity. It's, it's what I do. It's my hobby. It's my sport, you know? It's uh, who I am. And I'm the GP and I don't get that fucking sport. Yeah. So I'm like, just, you know, don't do that thing because it's hurting you. That's, that's really simple advice. They're giving the covering, covering their own ass. Yep. They're giving you a solution for the problem that you're presenting with, with the answer that they know best. Yes. Right? And, and so the coaches get so fucking frustrated with that. They're like, yeah, don't tell them not to squat. The squatting is the reason why their knees stopped hurting in the first place. It's like, yeah, well, it's the reason their knees are hurting now. So you <laughs> need to do something fucking as the coach, manage the load, change the technique, do something to get them to stop hurting their knees or take the advice of the physio, right? There's, yep. there's got to be some middle ground there somewhere. Yeah, and the thing with the medical, at least my understanding of the medical side of things, GPs, you know, physios, things like that, uh, most of them seem to lean on the most conservative approach to things, uh, especially like GPs, especially. Uh, they're general practitioners. They are serving the general population. And so, like exactly like you said, they don't have the the perspective that we do on the very incredibly niche fucking thing that we all spend our time doing. Uh, and, and so don't necessarily have an understanding of the context in which this knee pain comes up. So they go to exactly that answer. You said they t- take away the thing that hurts. Cool. It doesn't hurt anymore. Sweet. We made progress. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but they're, they're not having a crossover into, okay, well, this is how we bring it back, you know? And that, I think I've certainly seen a lot of people who have gone 
down the the rehab road where there's like this rehab but it never actually ends up looking anything like the training yeah and i think if you're if you're not working with someone on the therapy standpoint uh, from the therapy standpoint that has a uh like a thought out process for how they're going to get you back to the level of performance that you were at or that you're looking for then you can potentially run into some issues Mm, for sure for sure and again like we come we come back to the same sort of stalemate where it's like okay well here here is the therapy to get that person back to performance um but did the injury come because of the way they're performing this particular lift how are we going to rationalize and change that uh and it's really hard to garner those skills as a coach because there's, there's just very few places to learn it from besides the zero coaching um yeah I, so exactly. I, like my, my final point is still going to be you know what the fuck is your lane stop taking advice to stay in your lane continue to self-educate so continue to find the resources to you know develop your way of thinking and to sharpen your sword and, and master your craft and all the other sort of medieval analogies we can throw at you to um, get better. And I think on that point, it's it's really important to, as a coach, like not let it become an ego thing. Because uh, like I, I know I, I've done it. Like I've certainly been guilty of it in the past where I was perhaps more confident that, than I deserved to be in my own understanding of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then anything that contradicted my understanding and my model was suddenly wrong and it became this like personal attack as opposed to recognizing that it is a different point of view and that person's coming at it from a very different uh, perspective and that that doesn't mean it's invalid. Uh, and if anything, it's probably actually more valuable for me as a professional who's seeking to improve upon what I do to seek out and understand points of view that contradict my own. Mm-hmm. I think so many people, and like again, if I'd taken rethinking the big patterns five years ago, that would have been me. You just fucking drink that Kool Aid and run mm-hmm. with it, waddle effectively. Running's probably not the right word. Um, and then you just end up with this sort of loop of confirmation bias right like you only seek out information that fits in with the model that you're already working with uh and so then you refuse to accept any other points of view you don't then put yourself in a position to have these sort of robust discussions with you know like you said you and will have very different training models that you're using uh you're still both doing the same fucking thing and Mm -hmm. the core principles of what you're doing are pretty fucking similar I think it's here. I think it's someone cutting something out. Mm. Yeah, it's some dude angle grinding shit. It's that and a combination of Huxley snoring on the couch just behind me as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not just like staying in your lane can be problematic when suddenly your lane becomes the only thing that you recognize as valid mm. and you completely ignore all the other information around you. And I mean, fuck, man, there's a lot of information out there when it comes to exercise. There's a lot of different points of view. There's a lot of different models to work from. And you don't necessarily have to seek to understand all of them, but at least be empathetic to the idea that, like you said earlier, whoever you're working with or whoever your clients are working with is probably coming at it with their their client's best interests at heart. And they're just trying to do their best at, at what they can with the information that they have. And I think when you could recognize that, you can start to remove the ego from the discussion and then you can actually both learn from it. For sure. Uh, yeah. And I think that's where the, the real sort of power in this conversation lies. 
For sure, yeah, yeah. I the the confirmation bias thing is an interesting one because I think that that'll be like our our next episode. Um, I've been having you know clickbaity thoughts around uh, you know bias is a good thing and uh, where bias is very positive um, because you know the the notion of where bias is developed from is a link to these core beliefs that you have. Yeah, um, and it's just you know not blurring the line between being so biased that you are uh, completely closed minded, yes. uh, but being biased, biased enough to have confidence in your methodology. There, yep. there is something to that. And I think it's something that we can talk about in, uh, in another episode. Uh, instead of making this one 15 minutes longer, we'll extend the conversation for 30 minutes and make it a new episode. Oh, which is, shit, uh, yeah. yeah. That's that's some straight-up clickbait bullshit from and, Peak Speak. And you, you, you guys are getting a direct insight into the planning meetings of Peak Speak right now. <laughs> live on air. Because what go. we just did was plan our next episode. That's the extent of our planning. And uh, what we'll do is a week from now, we'll go, hey, what was that thing that we were going to talk about? Oh, yeah, and then we'll sit here and stare at each other for five minutes while we try to remember it and then one of us will have to do an emergency poo and then we'll start again and it'll be fine that's the most accurate thing I've ever heard. yeah exactly that's <laughs> it's, it's, it's accurate because it's happened a lot all right well i think on that note we're going to cut it yes goodbye goodbye